Abundance of love, abundance of grace. Now to that cross, you took my place. Oh God, you paid my ransom. My ransom. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people. Now, here's Pastor Scott. We're in Luke chapter, five, uh, chapter 11, verse 5. The scripture says, Then, teaching them more about prayer, he used this story. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. You say to him, A friend of mine has just arrived for a visit, and I have nothing for him to eat. And suppose he calls out from his bedroom, don't bother me. The door is locked for the night and my family and I are all in bed. I can't help you. Verse 8 says, but I tell you this, though he won't do it for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. I want to preach to you this morning from a sermon titled, It's Your Persistence That Makes the Difference. Pray with me, God. Thank you for persisting with us. Thank you for always being there. Thank you for always loving us. Thank you for always being kind and gracious and merciful and good and perfect and holy. God, I pray now that you'd anoint me to say what you'd have me to say and give us ears to hear what the Spirit says to us today from your word, by your Spirit, in Jesus' name, amen. It's your persistence that makes the difference. Well, I have looked at this story, taught this parable, spoke about it, preached it many times. I want us to revisit it this morning with the intent purpose of doing better. Say better. We all need to do better. See, this is the difference between a real church and a pep rally church. A pep rally church is not a real church, by the way. Uh, that's, that's a motivational speaker. Lots of churches are being pastored by men and women who are not pastors. They are motivational speakers, and they just come to make everybody feel good. A real church is a church where people are being challenged to grow where people are being told what's right and what's wrong and how to make a difference. A real church is a church where wise people come because they want to receive instruction. The Bible says not to reject instruction because that would make you foolish, but to receive instruction. We need to do better, and that's part of what makes us a real church. There's enough real people in the room. Now, you got your haters. You got your fakers. You got your phony, false brethren crept in unaware, the Scripture says, to spy out our liberty and try to do us harm. But we've got enough people in this room right now that would be honest enough to say, Pastor, I I know I need to do better. And that's why I'm here. I'm here to learn. I'm here to grow. I'm here to learn the truth and apply this truth so I could be who God wants me to be. And we are going to look at this passage again, and we are going to learn from it what God would have us to know. Listen to verse 5. Then. When is then? Then is after. Now, if you look at the first few verses here, the disciples came to Jesus in the beginning of this chapter and asked him to teach them to pray. And... He shared with them a portion of what we now call the Lord's Prayer or the model prayer. And then we get down to verse 5 and it says, then teaching them more. Uh, He's teaching them more. Say more. You need to get to the more of God. You, You need to get beyond the basics and you need to get to the more. You need to get your salvation sure. You need to quit worrying. Are you saved or are you not? Listen, if you worry about whether or not you're saved, you just ought to get saved for real and stop worrying about it. You just ought to go ahead and get that handled, get that settled, forever established in heaven, and and then you can know, now that I'm saved for sure, I can move on and I can start growing. Because if you're always wrestling with, am I saved, am I not saved, then you're never going to get to the more. And Jesus is teaching them more about prayer by using this story. And he goes into these two different parables here. Uh, Only Luke records these parables back-to-back the way that he does. But the important thing that we've seen about parables, and I've taught a lot on parables in in our church, the important thing we know to be true about parables is parables primarily teach how many points? One. Say one. Parables primarily teach 
one point. Here's where people get messed up. Here's where people get bad theology. They try to take a parable because when the Bible uses parables, a lot of times it will say something like this. A certain man was a father. Now, that, that, that's representative of, it's, it's a comparison of something spiritual to something earthly. Some people have called a parable an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. Most parables are by comparison. It means to lay two things beside each other and to compare them to each other. These two parables are unique in Scripture because they contrast versus compare. But most people try to think, a certain man was a father who owned a home. And typically, if a certain man was a father who owned a home, who would that be representing to us? God the Father. If, if it said he had two children, one was good and one was bad, then you're looking at saved people, lost people, good Christians, bad Christians, and you're trying to piece all these pieces together. What does this represent? What does this contrast? What, what is this comparing to? What's the heavenly uh, flip to this earthly script? And people take it too far, say too far. If you try to find meaning for every, if you try to attach significance to every part of a parable, you're going to get so far away from what God is trying to show you, you are going to walk into bad theology. A parable primarily teaches how many points? One point. So we want to learn something from this story. And you'll see if you've never looked at parables what I'm talking about as we move in to this. But he says, the, the, the scripture says that Jesus is teaching them more about prayer. Let me, let me say something real quick about prayer. Uh, e even as the Lord's disciples asked Jesus to teach them to pray, we need the Lord to teach us how to pray. If you study the Gospels, and I hope you will, because they tell us about the life of Jesus on this earth, uh, you, you'll find out that he spent time teaching his disciples how to pray, but he never spent time teaching them how to preach. Do you get that? So do you see how important this is? Uh, the, the great Andrew Murray said, it's much more important to know how to talk to God than it is to know how to talk to men. For it's with God that we derive our power, not from men. And so we need to learn from the Lord how to pray. If I put you on task right now and said, just pray for us, uh, I wouldn't do that, A, because one, that might foster embarrassment. I'm not here to embarrass you. Two, it might foster pride. I'm not here to make you proud. I've shared with you some of my stories because it's all that I have, this scripture and, and my life to, to try to encourage you to be all that God wants you to be. But I can remember in the early days uh, when, when I first became a member of what then was Word of Faith Church that went on to become Potter's House with Bishop Von McLaughlin when it was a tiny church on Seaboard Avenue, we had a prayer night lock-in. And I'm like, cool, man. I used to go to Baptist church when I was lost. I know about lock-ins, man. We, they, they lock the doors. We eat. We play games, man. We, you know, sneak off in, in the corner with good-looking girls and talk and uh, stay holy. Hallelujah. And so I'm, I'm thinking, okay, because we're going to lock in at 11 p.m. And until 7 the next morning. And I'm like, well, you know, there's going to be some sleeping and some eating going on at some point. And it was the wildest thing I had ever seen. Uh, we, uh, Elder Tyrone Thompson at the time, uh, he had an amazing island accent, uh, awesome dude. And at 11 o'clock, he told everybody to get in a posture of prayer. He said, and I will open in prayer. And, you know, so I'm thinking, okay, brother's going to open in prayer. And, then, you know, we're going to get into this. He opened in prayer at 11 p.m., and he prayed all the way through to 7 a.m. Now, that's shocking to everybody in this room because that ain't how Americans pray. That, you know, we talk about we, we're going to have a night of prayer. Uh, it, 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 no, we're lucky to get 20 people to come out on first Sunday night to pray with us. Um, and, and, you know, and there's snoring going on at that point. So, and that's an hour. We're lucky to get people to come out, for, but for eight hours, this brother prayed. Uh, he had spent time learning how to pray. And it, it wasn't typical prayer. Uh, when I was first coming into church, I was in a Baptist church after I first got saved, and they always had the deacons open every service in prayer. Some deacon would come up to the, to the front, and he would take the microphone, 
and he would pray. And I, I finally figured out how they made people deacons because I started wondering about how you get to be a deacon. I started looking around. Oh, it's all the old dudes with good suits and money. And that's not what a deacon is in the Bible. And I thank God that the deacons at Abundant Life are Bible deacons, biblical deacons, people who serve, work, get their hands dirty, sweat, carry, carry groceries for people, clean, stack chairs, mop floors. Amen. We got good deacons in our church. Can five people say amen? Everybody in this room, if you're a member of this church or if you've come along so often, even though you hadn't been to new members that we just assigned you, you should have a deacon family assigned to be praying for you every week. And they should be calling you once a month to check to see if your prayer needs have changed. If you don't have a deacon family calling you every month, praying for you every week, I want you to take one of those cards out of the back pocket of the chair in front of you, and I want you to write on there, I need a deacon in my life because these are holy men and women. I believe we've got the best deacons any church I've ever seen. The, the deacons and the deacons' wives of this church, they are holy. They, they are covenant people. They, they are godly people, and they are praying for the members of the church. I want you to put your hands together for what God is doing in our deacon ministry. But these dudes, these dudes, they would get up, and you've heard me talk about our friend Jan's dad. He, he, he would stand up, and he would always pray that, you know, long-winded, uh, you know, prayer in the King James Version that nobody speaks in. And that is, was my first introduction to public praying. And I want you to know, you don't have to pray fancy to God. Honestly, if you went to someone... And, and your normal conversation is, hey, what's up, bro? How you doing? What's been going on this week? If you went from that to, how art thou, my dear brother, in the Lord? Art thou struggling with the stripes and the bonds of Christianity in these great last and troubling days of tribulation? If you, they'd be like, yo, dog, you okay? <laughs> we good? You ain't, on that, you ain't on that stuff, is you? You can't fake. Talk to someone who knows you. You might be able to run that by somebody who doesn't know you. They might just think, oh, he's deep. But if they know you, they know how you speak. And let me tell you something. Here's the best news you will ever hear about God. God knows everything about you, and he's already made a decision to love you anyway. You can't get that from people. You want to know why most people never open up and get honest about who they really are? Because they got it in the back of their, their mind. Man, if these people knew everything about me, they wouldn't even let me come in. We'll let you come in. Because if God accepts you, we have to accept you. Amen? Prayer is, is not about using fancy words. But we do need to learn how to pray. And prayer is simply talking to God. Jesus is teaching them about prayer. I, I think it's incredible that he never taught them how to preach, but he taught them how to pray. And he sent them to go out and preach. But he t listen, here's the reality. If you fall in love with Jesus and you spend enough time talking to Jesus, you'll know what to say when you get in front of people. You fall in love with Jesus and you spend enough time talking to, to, to God, you'll be so anointed with the spirit of the high, most high God that you'll just be do a, a living, breathing representation of God everywhere you go. So he used this story back in verse 5. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight Wanting to borrow three loaves of bread, you say to him, comma. All right, so let's unpack this a little bit. He goes into this story about going to a friend's house at midnight. Now, in these times, travel was primarily done at night. So not uncommon to travel at night. I still I, I do my traveling at night. We leave to go out of town. We almost always leave on Sunday night because I'd rather drive not staring into the sun. Amen. Less traffic. I like driving at night. I can say it's because I'm holy and spiritual and living by the Bible. That ain't it. But they traveled at night. But midnight's too late for any day and age. Midnight, going to a friend's house, bothering somebody. I was telling some single people in our church last month, you ought to always part company before midnight. Ain't nothing holy happening after midnight between two single people. Amen? We were praying. You were praying God deliver you from temptation. That kind of prayer is done separately and alone. But this, this, this is late. Say late. So he's telling this parable. He's telling this story. And he says, suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight. 
Not that you would. What does midnight represent? Nothing. What did them being a friend represent? Nothing. A parable teaches how many points? All right, so we got to find the point. But he's setting up the point. Suppose you went to a friend's house at midnight wanting to borrow three loaves of bread. Now, I'm going to tell you how crazy people study parables. I'm going to tell you how people with bad theology who have no business teaching and preaching study parables because I want you to learn a lot of times if you know the wrong way, you can find your way to the right way. Okay, so parable teaches how many points? Primarily one. Okay, so suppose you went to a friend's. I wonder who the friend is. Well, just keep reading for a minute. Uh, A friend's house. He could have said apartment. I wonder why he said house. I wonder what the house means. I, I wonder if this is a big house or a little house. I, I wonder what type of friend. Is this, is this, is this, is this talking about a, a close friend, a distant friend? Is this talking about, you know, friends with benefits? Is, is it talking about part-time love? What, what is this? Well, for, uh, and a house, at midnight, I, I, I wonder if that means literally 12.0000. I mean, is that right at the ding, ding, ding of midnight? That's crazy. Say crazy. I, I wonder... Hmm, wanting to borrow. I wonder why I borrow. Does this mean I'm going to have to pay it back? Uh, is this significant of, uh, of some debt that I'm incurring? Because the Scripture says you shouldn't be in debt. You know, the borrower is servant to the lender. So am I going to be servant to this? Am I going to be slave to this person because I borrow? You're going too far. Say too far. Three low. Oh, I wonder why three. Father, Son, Holy Ghost, earth, wind, sky, love, peace, joy. What? Keep reading. You say to him, the story's still moving. Get to the end of the story before you wreck your brain trying to figure out the point. The point should jump out at you. These are not hard things to deal with. Let's, let's, let's look at verse 6 and, 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 and hear more of this story. A friend of mine, here's, here's what you say. Here's the story. You, you say to your friend, a friend of mine has just arrived for a visit and I have nothing for him to eat. I wonder what that's trying to say. I wonder what the friend is going to say. You, you want to know how to figure out what the friend is going to say? Keep reading. I, I wonder if the friend's going to say, it ain't my problem. You should have prepared something. Oh, this is talking about lack of preparation. I, no, keep, say keep reading. You go, to your, you go to your friend, your neighbor, you're like, hey, man, people just rolled up on me late. I have nothing for them to eat. And suppose he calls from out of his bedroom, comma. Oh, so we got to pause and think about that. Listen, parables are different. When you're reading between the punctuation, you can't unpack everything because everything's not the point. You, you sit there and try, suppose he calls out from his bedroom. Well, I wonder why he was in his bedroom. Was he sleeping? Here's, here's what's funny, and I won't tell you who says what, but, but there are certain people that, that would say this. Is he sleeping? That would be proper. Some other people might say, is he sleep? You cannot be sleep. So that would be, is he sleep? You can't be sleep. You can be sleeping. Uh, But either way, you you start thinking all this stuff, you've gone too far. Say too far. Calls out from his bedroom, don't bother me, period. Well, there you have it. But we're going to keep reading before we try to make any determination about this. The door is locked. For the night, and my family are all in bed. I can't help you. Uh, that's that doesn't sound very friendly to me. That sounds like, bro. Is, is this a story about picking the wrong friend? Is this a story about the friends you can't trust? Is this a story about fake brethren? Is this the story about haters pretending to? No, it's none of that. You have to keep reading. But I did uncover in my study something that is just shocking to me. And, and, it, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to help us un- understand it if you listen and you put it together. Where it says, I can't help you. What, what, what's the word with the contraction there? Can't. In all of Scripture, that is the only time that Greek word is ever used in the whole Bible. Now, this is highly unusual because the word can't is used in the Bible hundreds of times. But only once was it ever used from come from this primary because the new testament was primarily written in greek and so I, I i studied this greek word and 
It means emphatically, I have the power to. Now, is that what we think can't means? If, if you say, I can't do it, if I said, you know, go pick Deacon West up with, with one hand off the seat by his throat. Well, you can't do that. I understand what you mean. I can't either. But, you know, if John Cena walked in the room, if the Undertaker walked in the room, if, uh, if you know, the world's strongest man, Mark Henry, walked in the room, he, he might give it a go. But when we say can't, we mean I don't have the ability. I can't do it. I'm, I'm unable to do it. But this word means I emphatically can, but I won't. Now, that's hard. I'm thinking, well, you ain't no friend of me at all. I just X'd you off. I asked you for something, and you're like, hey, I could do that easy peasy chicken grease. I could do ain't no, I just nothing, nothing to it. But I won't. Yo, man, let, 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 me, let me get 25 cents so I can buy these wings. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a quarter short. And you tell me, I've got 71 quarters in this pocket that I don't even have anything to do with them. I could easily give you one, but I won't. You just lost friend status with me, and you're walking home. And I'm going to turn to somebody, and I'm going to say, you believe this fool right here won't get it? And they're going to give me a quarter and make you look bad, right? It's, this is different. Say different. This is a shocking difference because the friend says, I can't help you. And what he really means is, I'm not going to, even though I could. Well, what does all that mean? Is that the point? Well, we got to keep reading to find out. Verse 8 says, but I tell you this, though he won't do it for friendship's sake, if you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. Now we've come to the point. The point is, why did the man go to his friend's house to begin with? Had a need, had somebody come, drop in, laid on him, wanting some food. Amen? Now, we can talk about what a bad friend that is. We can talk about how that don't work at pastor's house because he don't answer the door. You never know who it might be. You know, they got people dressing up as delivery men just coming to invade you. Uh, we can talk about all the other things, but the reality, here's the story. This certain person had somebody show up on him late at night. They needed something to eat. He was unprepared. He goes to his friend's house. Yo, man, let me get something to eat. Who showed up on me late? Uh, I'm, I'm, I got nothing. Give me something. I'm not doing it. We're all in bed. I'm trying to get up and, and, and give you anything. Then it comes to this point. It says he won't do it for friendship's sake. But if you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need. If you keep knocking long enough, he will get up. See, you want what you need, but you got to get him up. To get to that place, you want what you need. That's food for your friend. You want what you need. He will get up and give you whatever you need. You want what you need, but if you keep knocking long enough, he'll get up and give you what you need. Are you seeing the point yet? You got to keep on. Say keep on. It says he will give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. Now, here's the deal. and I've had, I, mean, I have read hundreds of commentaries on this parable, and I have read so many smart people go so far wrong on their exposition of this in their commentary. This, this, this is not being taught properly in many churches. This isn't about you got to shame God into getting up out of bed to meet your need. This isn't talking about, you, you, you know, God's got to sit back and make sure that you really are serious about asking him. God never sleeps. He never slumbers. That's what the Bible tells us. It's not about God's reluctance to give something to the person that asks him for. It's not trying to teach that. It's trying to teach us to be insistent and persistent in our prayer, in our asking. We need to ask and ask again. I've had people that be honest and admit to me that they've been praying for something for so long and they didn't get it and they finally gave up praying. I've been telling you for years, if you're praying for something that you believe God wants you to have, you don't need to have it hasn't happened. You need to have it happen, happen yet mindset. You need to get your mind focused on I'm going to keep asking. Okay? He said he will get up and give you whatever you need. See, it's not that he doesn't have it. 
Not that he can't do it, is he made a decision. I'm just not getting up and coming down there to, to help you at this late hour. But the parable goes on to teach that if you keep knocking long enough, he will give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. I want, I want you to see uh, this, this one truth of persistence taught in this Bible. It comes in the King James, it doesn't say shameless persistence. It says importunity, which is another seldom used word in Scripture. And it means shameless persistence and unwillingness to give up. That is not found much in today's world. That is not found much in today's world. People quit too soon. People quit too soon. The Bible says all God's promises are to those who endure. So if those who endure receive the promises, those who quit get nothing. And don't quit on God. Don't quit on your miracle. Don't quit on what you believe in. Don't. Now, if you're saying, I just believe God wants me to have a Ferrari because everyone deserves to have a red Ferrari. Like you wouldn't take a black one. Come on now. Stop playing. Get nowhere in the Bible does it say God is trying to give you a red or a black Ferrari. Don't, don't come at me. Well, God promised me a 72-foot a, a, a yacht with a helicopter pad and a helicopter. Uh, uh, uh. Ha! And every other foolishness you want to put with it. God did not promise you that. And if you think he did, manifest it. You got to be able to find the promises in the book. Now, God might have given you a desire for it. Keep believing for it. But, but don't, well, don't try to hold your breath on it. Amen? You, you, gotta, you got to ask God for what God has promised you. Here he says he'll give you whatever you need. This is need, not want. Say need. God, God's got a promise for your need. He said he'll give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. This is not trying to teach that God is lazy in bed and will only help you if you beg. That is not what it's trying to teach. God, this is not trying to teach that you can overcome God's will by constant uh, Begging him and demand, that, that's, that's not what it's trying to teach. What it's trying to teach is keep on asking. Be shameless in your ask. Now, old, old school cats in the room will know. I, I guess cats could be male or female. Uh, old school cats in the room will know. Uh, Motown taught, taught us a long time ago uh, that, that there are just some people who ain't too proud to the problem today is that too many people just too proud to keep asking. I ain't trying to beg from nobody. That's why you're broken ignorant. If they wanted me to have it, they just give it to me. Why, why do I have to ask for it? Because the Bible said to. Learn to do what God said to do. Quit trying to figure everything out. Just start walking in obedience because to those who walk in obedience, those are the ones who have the blessing. God said, keep knocking long enough. If you believe something from God that you can back up in Scripture and you haven't had it yet, let's talk about inference because we talk a lot about inference here. If God has a promise in the Scripture that you're believing him for and it hasn't happened, what can we infer that you haven't done? You haven't knocked long enough. You haven't knocked long enough. See, here's the thing about sales, and, I, and I, I teach my kids as much as I can about business because I want them to be able to hear these things once I'm in heaven. There, is, there, there are certain groups of people that make a lot of money in the world, and that group of people are people who are willing to generate income through selling something. Over 85% of everyone in this country that makes over $100,000 a year does it by some form of selling something. Why do people who sell stuff get paid so much? Because it's rough and hard to do. Because it's a lot of rejection to deal with. And the human condition is not conditioned to just hear no, 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 door slam, door slam, door slam. Don't call me. Don't bother me. I'm sick of y'all. That that that's just hard to deal with. It's not the normal psyche. But the person who can thicken up their skin and, and deal with that can walk into heavy rewards. And one of the things sales managers teach their salespeople all the time, and it doesn't matter if you're selling used socks, or stocks on the stock exchange. What, what every, every industry has found out the number. How many no's do you have to get to get to a yes? 
Whatever you're selling, there is a number of no's you have to get. to get. If you're a recruiter going into homes of high school students trying to get them to come to your university, they can tell you the statistics say you have to go into a certain number of homes and they're going to tell you no, we're going with Notre Dame, we're going with Michigan, we, 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 we're going even with Florida State, orange and blue jerseys on. We, we're going. you got to go through a certain amount of no's. Now, in the getting of the no process, you know what most salespeople do? They give up. They quit. People have told me my whole life, Pastor Scott, you ought to go in, into sales uh, because you like to talk and you like to prove your point. You, you, uh, listen, I hate selling. I don't want to bother people with stuff they don't want. I just like talking about the Lord. I did selling. I did cold call outdoor selling one time in my life, and, and I realized immediately I have the greatest Call rejection, fear of any. I was, I was supposed to be on my first call at 8 o'clock in the morning. I would, I would show up to my first call at 8 o'clock in the morning, and I'd think. I'd sit in the car, and I'd have these debates with myself. They're just going to say no. They ain't trying to buy this junk. They already got everything I'm selling. And I, I, was, I would sit there, and time would drag on. I would think, I may as well go eat breakfast. And I'd eat breakfast. And then, you know, two hours before lunch, I didn't get that same thought. I may as well go. And I had this call because I did not like having doors slammed in my face. I did not like being told no. I did not buy into the truth of what the guy that trained me told me. And he told me. And the guy's name was Rob. And he's a multimillionaire, hugely successful person. Got his own little private 50-person booth at the Jaguar games. Bring all his friends in there, carve roast beef. Uh, free-flowing liquor, everything. Got the same thing at the University of Florida. I mean, this dude is just wildly successful uh, because he didn't care about hearing no. And he would tell me, Scott, you got to hurry up and get through those no's because you got to get nine no's to get one yes. So you got, you got to be excited. You got to be like, yes, I got a no. I'm that much closer to getting my yes. And the second no of the day, I, oh, man, I, I'm rolling now. You get to that eighth, you ought to be just tingling from, from the top of your head. And I'm thinking, you one sick dude. You got it like that? I mean, literally, this, 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 this was the hardest outdoor cold calling. There wasn't no appointment set up. You just roll up and go to maintenance shops and sell them nuts, bolts, fasteners, adhesives. You're walking up into, into places with dudes with grease under their finger that will hit you with a wrench. And every shop has a sign on it that says, uh, no one allowed beyond this point. Or, we kill all third salesmen of the day and the first two just left. I mean, literally signs like that. And when he trained me, he, we walk in carrying our little bag of junk, and I'd see that sign, and I'd be like, there's 15 dudes in here, man. They all got wrenches and drills in their hands. We, we're rolling up in here in polos and khakis. Uh, and, and they would just cuss him like a dog. They'd be like, can't you read the blankety blank? I'm so sick of you blanket salesmen. Uh, do you read at all? You can bother me. I ain't got time. I'm in here trying to rebuild this truck by noon. Do, can you read? And he'd always smile, oh, yeah, the sign, that's a great sign, man. I, I saw the sign, but I just figured that was for all the people that didn't have anything you needed. I got something you need. Three minutes later, they're writing checks. And if someone said, get out, fool, and read the sign next time, he would smile and go on his way. And he'd look at me, eight more to go. I ain't built for this level of rejection, man. I'm too cute to be getting rejected all this much. I'm trying to have this. I ain't about this. So, sales is out for me. But the moral of the story is, no's will get you closer to your yes in the sales business. Why? Persistence is always rewarded. And the Bible is trying to teach us about persistence. I love what it says in, in this version. Shameless persistence. I, I, when I read that, I thought, my boy Rob, he was, he was just shameless, man. He would walk in with that sign. He would stand in front of that sign. No salesman allowed beyond this point. He'd look at it like, there we go, and walk right past it. I'm thinking, we're going to get shot. We, we, we're going to get jumped. Uh, but he was shameless in his pursuit because he believed in what he was doing. 
He believed in what he was doing, and he wasn't going to give up until he accomplished his goal. If you don't hear anything I've got to say to you today, don't give up. Don't give up. The Bible says you will receive your reward in due season if you don't give up. Don't give up. Never stop pursuing God. Never stop growing. Never stop uh, attempting to be all that God has called you to do and to be. If you keep knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need because of your shameless persistence. If you don't get what you need, it is not the other person's fault. Well, I asked God for it. He didn't give me. God didn't say ask him for it. He said keep asking me for it. God, God, God didn't say one time is enough. If you are still waiting on your miracle, then I want you to realize I have work to do. See, pep rally churches won't teach this because people don't want to have to work. Work is a four-letter word, and people in this generation think it's a curse word. Work is not a curse word. If you work for something long enough, you'll get what you're working for. But if you quit, if you give up, you will end up with nothing. I am convinced that the majority of people quit this far, this close to their blessing. The, the, the Bible says, let us not be weary in well-doing. Don't quit doing the right thing because if you do the right thing long enough, good things will happen, the Scripture says. Most people start climbing the ladder to their miracle, start climbing the ladder to, to what, what they want to accomplish, and they get tired and they grow weary and they can't see the finish line, so they give up. You, you might have had one more rung to go and you would have been there. You might have had one more rung to go. I thank God the first lawn business I ever started was in, ninth, in February 20th. Of 1990, I started my first lawn business, and I started with a partner of mine that I used to go out uh, soul winning with named Mike, and Mike and I both put up a certain amount of money to go in. I'd had everybody tell me, don't do business with friends, it'll ruin your friendship, and so we made a clause. We made a clause that said this, no matter how much we make, no matter how much we have, if one of us ever quits, they walk away with nothing, and who stays gets everything. Now, now, which one of us you think was going to stay longest? <laughs> hey, I don't like being told no, but I ain't stupid. I ain't walking away from money. And we went out, and we knocked on doors, and we begged people to let us cut. The first person's grass we ever cut was, was right off Norm Normandy and Herlong. And it was, it, was, it was a train wreck. And they told us that we, we told them we, we'd do it. Uh, just, just to try to earn their business, they give us $20. It was an easy $60 job. We told them we'd do it for $20. They said, hold on a second. They came back with a jug full of change, and they had 17, They paid us $17 in change. First yard I ever cut, $17 in change, and it was horrible, and it took us a long time to do it. We were not great at estimating at that point, and it took us a long time to do it, and the first few months of that business was that way. Is that way? Of course, I was single. He was newly married. Uh, he had just gotten out of the Air Force, brought his German bride back with him. Every day, he would go home, and his German bride would be like, how much money did you make today? Uh, was half of $17, $8.50. But we were on thirds. A third to me, a third to you, a third to the business, because you got to buy string, you got to buy blades, you, you, got, to, you got to buy gas. And, and so it, was, it wasn't even that. It wasn't even $6. And he, he was, you know, she was filling his head up with negativity. Filling, and we were knocking on doors, and we were being persistent, and we were going at it. And he finally came to me one day and said, man, I can't do it anymore. I just can't keep going home, bringing nothing home. Uh, she, she's, she, uh, he was a hyperbaric chamber technician in the Air Force. He had great skills in, in, in the medical industry, and he had jobs that were pursuing him fresh out of the Air Force. And he had a job offer to move to Miami and work at the University of Miami Hospital in their hyperbaric chamber. And he ended up taking that job, and he walked away from his investment. And less than a month later, I got my first large $14,000 a month apartment complex contract. And I began, I went on a, I went on a, a, a pattern of making hundreds of thousand dollars a year for uh, many, many years after that, and he walked away too soon. I said all that to tell you this, don't walk away too soon. Don't walk away too soon. Now, fortunately for me, we had an agreement. 
because I, I, didn't, I didn't have to worry about how much money we make in the future. I got to piece him up. He got nothing, and we agreed. You walk away, you walk away with nothing because it's a biblical concept. All of God's promises are to those who endure. So if you stick with this thing, we'll split it forever. But if you ever quit, if I ever quit, we, we just walk away and let the other person have it as a blessing. I believe that too many people are letting other people access their blessing because they're quitters. How are you going to let people get your stuff because you stopped asking for it? How are you going to let people get your stuff because you didn't have their persistence? Not just persistence, but what's the Scripture say? Shameless. Well, I'm tired of asking. Get over being tired. Well, it's embarrassing to keep begging. Get over your embarrassment. God said keep asking. And I want to tell you today that what God has for you is for you. But if you're not willing to ask for it repeatedly, then you are not going to get it because he will give you whatever you need if you keep knocking long enough. Verse 9, Jesus breaks out of the parable and says, and so I tell you. What he's saying here is, based on what I just said, let me tell you what you need to do with that information. And so I tell you, keep on asking, and you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking, and the door will be open to you. And I can remember, as a young Christian, because I used to use, I, I was a King James Version only exclusive dude, and man, I had to do a lot of study to explain hard words that didn't make a lot of sense in English, um, and a lot of my preaching time would be in, in explaining words. Because in the King James, it says, ask and ye shall receive. All right, so ask, how many times does that make it sound like you got to ask? All right, but that's not what it is. And as, as I studied, I find out that that Greek word was a verb, which is an action, something you must do, and it was in the continual tense. It wasn't just ask, it was keep on asking. Now, instead of doing all that explanation, I finally decided, man, if I just read this in a, a more modern translation that, that expands the definition on this, we could save some time. Jesus said, keep on asking. So what do we have to do? Jesus said, you will receive what you ask for. He said, keep on seeking. So what do we have to do? He said, you will find. Jesus said, keep on knocking. So what do we have to do? If you want to receive, if you want to find, if you want the door to be open for you, you have to keep on doing these things. Before you go blaming other people, before you go on your pity party, before you start saying how everybody else is to blame, I want you to make up your mind to say, I am not going to be too proud to beg. I am going to be willing to be shameless in my pursuit. I am going to keep on asking. I'm going to keep on knocking, and I am going to keep on, what's the other one? Seeking. See, everybody in this room at one time sought God. Some people gave up. Some people are still seeking. Guess who's finding God? The ones who keep on seeking him. Everybody in this room has things that they want from God, that they've asked God for something in their lifetime. But some people have gotten it and some people haven't. The difference isn't in who God is. The difference isn't in what time it is. The difference isn't in how close the friendship is. The difference isn't in is it a house or an apartment. The difference isn't in is it for lunch or supper. The difference is in persistence. It's your persistence that makes the difference. He, he went on. He, he, said, he said this next parable. Now, he's already, he's already done the one about the friend asking. Then he says in verse 11, you fathers, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? Now, I, I don't know, but you can read this. In, in all, all commentaries, almost every commentary I read said the same thing. In that generation, in, in that uh, geographic region, snakes and fish look very similar. I'm thinking, kind of fish? Well, I wish Brother David was here. What kind of fish? Are you catching that, that look like a snake? But Jesus said, if your children ask for a fish, do you give them a snake? Listen, the answer, this is a rhetorical question, which means the answer is implied. It's expected that you know the answer. But I know some weird cats. Hey, Dad, can, can I have a, a fish? No, nah, but here goes a snake. You're not a good father then. Look, look, look verse, what verse 12 says. 
Or if they ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? Of course not. Commentators tell us the same thing. In, in this geographic region at this time, scorpions and eggs were shaped very similar. You don't give the child that you love something worse, something destructive, something that will harm them if they're asking you for something that they need. If you love your child and they say, hey, yo, dad, let me get one of those chips. And you're sitting there, as I'm prone to do, with that big old giant bag of wavy Lay's chips in my, in, in, in my lap. Yo, dad, can I get one of those chips? I don't reach in my pocket and throw a snake at them. Go ahead. Take, don't take the big ones. Get them crumbs out the bottom. I'm dipping mine. <laughs> Y'all don't know what it's like to live in a house with boys. Well, you never get to open anything. Never open a box of cereal. Never open a bag of potato chips. Ne ne never get to. It's always empty. You, you go in there. Go, go grab the milk. There's nothing in it. Who put the milk back in the refrigerator empty? Some boy. Not me. No, of course not you. Jesus said, if, you, if your son, if your child, if you're a decent father and your child asks you for something that you have, wouldn't you give it to him? Of course you would. Look at the next verse. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? He said, if, if you're willing to give good things to your kids, and you're not even God, you don't have everything, and you're not as generous as God, how much more will your Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Now, see, during this time, before the resurrection of Christ, the Holy Spirit was still operating the way the Holy Spirit operated in the Old Testament. And at all times, from the beginning of creation until the day of Pentecost, after the resurrection ascension of Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit would come on people in power and empower them to do great things, but then the Spirit would leave. And then at other times, the Spirit would come back on them and the Spirit would leave. There's one exception to that in the Old Testament. I've taught you this repeatedly. Who's the one exception to that in the Old Testament? David. The Bible says that the Holy Spirit came on David and stayed with him the whole days of his life. So David was the only Old Testament believer filled with the Holy Ghost. But the Scripture tells us in the book of Acts and in Romans chapter 8 that when you get saved, the Holy Spirit comes to live in you and is always with you. Romans chapter 8 verse 9 goes as far as to say, if anyone doesn't have the Holy Spirit, they're none of Christ at all. So don't believe that there are Christians with and without the Holy Spirit. This isn't saying that as a Christian you've got to pray and ask God to give you the Holy Spirit because this was a different time, say different. But what he's saying is, who is the giver of the gifts? The Holy Ghost. Who is the one who empowers us to do good things? The Holy Ghost. And God is saying he will give you the gifts and he will give you the power if you will just ask him. Matthew teaching a similar point in Matthew chapter 7, verse 11. Same point. He says, so if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? My kids have been in church their whole life. Jacob was born two months after we started this church. Started church in August or in June of 2001. Jake was born in August of 2001. They've been in this church every week their whole life. And they've heard this ask and don't quit asking and ask until you get it story. And so they ask me all the time, hey, Dad, boy, I don't know. I don't see, I don't see Stacy. Stacy, Stacy wrecked my, my children's view of school by giving her children mental health days. They're like, uh, hey, can I have a mental health day? What, what does that mean? I need to get my mind right. I don't want to go to school. So my kids ask for mental health days. My kids ask for, Dad. Uh, and now, now it's like, uh, you know, Seth's just now getting used to it. Jake's been doing this. This this is his third year doing high school. Uh, this Seth got getting, going from getting up at nine o'clock in the morning to getting up at six o'clock in the morning. That's a game changer. That, that's a difference maker. And so now he's always like, "Hey, Dad, can we just stay home tomorrow? Sleep in?" Like, no, you can't stay. But they keep asking. Why? Because they know eventually, if they ask long enough, they're gonna get it. If they ask long, hey, Dad, can we go to Disney World? Now they want to do something different. They watch that, that, that commercial. Boy, if I'm, if I'm Disney, I'm mad at Universal. They're dissing, they're dissing Disney so hard. Universal's got that story. We're not just for kids. 
And then they show the teenagers and and and, the, and then the older kids. They want to go to Universal and ride them roller coasters. And and they they don't they don't want to go ride. It's a small world anymore because they don't know how great it's a small world is. But let me tell you something. It's a small world still beats dueling dragons. All right. Let me tell you what I know. And, and Disney's making that money. But they keep my kids just keep asking why because they've heard me say enough times. Don't not have it because you didn't ask for it. Don't not have it. Now, they have heard this speech. Don't ask me again. <laughs> We're done with that conversation today. Don't bring that up again. Now, see, my kids also understand the principle of inference because they've been in this church their whole life, and I don't have to tell them what's going to happen if they ask again. But as Christians who don't have a, 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 a father who can be irritable, who don't have a father who can be tired, who don't have a father who, who, who can be busy and distracted. Uh, the, for Christians who have an all-knowing, all-loving, all-powerful, everything in the palm of his hands, Father, who said, just keep asking me, and eventually you'll get it. What am I trying to tell you today? Keep asking. Keep asking. God is not unfaithful. God is not a liar. God... All his promises, the scriptures say, are yes and amen. God wants to give you what you want to have. It's, 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 where, where, where's that verse of scripture? Um, put up Luke 12, 32 for me, elder. Just, just verse 32. The Bible says, don't be afraid, little flock. For it gives your father great happiness to give you the kingdom. He's talking about the kingdom as being everything that God has for you. And this verse says, it gives your father great happiness to give you the kingdom. If you love your kids, and and some of y'all, I know that's a challenge. We're just going to keep it real. I mean, you know, you loved them when they came out because they were cute. You were okay with with them pooping and peeing on stuff. You were okay with them vomiting on stuff. But once they got into them years where they started talking back. Remember back when they were cute and lovable. You, you, it made you feel good to get them that happy meal. Didn't it? It made you feel good. And you, and you want to make sure. You tell them, I want the boy toy. And you felt good about it. It made you feel good to, to get them that to, to take them to Chick-fil-A, they want to run around in that nasty. Let me tell you something. There ain't no place more nastier than Chuck E. Cheese and them tubes these kids crawl around in Chick-fil-A. Keep your children out of them disease pots. Little children up there peeing in tubes that ain't never been cleaned by an adult. An adult can't fit in them tubes. Socks left in there for a year at a time. Listen. Did you let your, of course I let mine play in there. Felt good. I'd take them to Chick-fil-A and, you know, Chick-fil-A. What, what, what a place. Chick, I, I love Chick-fil-A. You know, because you walk into any other place. Well, and my kids hate it. They hate it because I do it all the time. Because if you walk up to the counter of a fast food restaurant, anybody, what, what are they supposed to say? Welcome. Can I what? Help you. I take your order. You don't even have to say sir. But at halftime, they just look at me. I just give them this. And then they lean off. I lean off. And my kids, man, my kids are a lot alike, but they got some differences. Jake is just like, oh, gosh, Dad, come on, man. And Seth's like, just wear them out, Dad. Just, just, just don't break. Don't break. And so I finally... I finally just say, did you want to ask me if you could take my order? They're spitting on it at that point. I know. What I care. I worked in the food business. I've spat on lots of food in my life and done worse to it. I know what happened. I was unsaved. Trust me. You've ate spit on your food and worse than that. If you ate out at any restaurant, don't be like, oh, don't send it back. They'll spit on it. They probably spat on it already. Be working in a hot kitchen. They're frustrated. And, and so, but my, not Chick-fil-A, man. No, not Chick-fil-A. No, you walk up to Chick-fil-A, uh, and, that, man, they are on it. That's real management at Chick-fil-A. And you say thank you. Listen, you say thank you. You go to any fast food restaurant in America and tell somebody thank you. Other than Chick-fil-A, you go to any fast food restaurant in America and tell somebody thank you. Uh-huh. All right. 
I-8. Can you spell that? I-8. A-H. How you spell I-8? I-G-H-T? I-8. Whatever. You got it. Any kind of random foolishness. You see, I dare you. Just drive through Chick-fil-A, don't even order anything. Just, just go up to one of them and say, thank you. You won't even be able to catch your breath before they say, it's my pleasure. It's your pleasure? Oh, no, they trained you to say that. How do we get to here? I was beating myself up for preaching for too long the other day in the car, and Jake's like, Dad, it's not that you preach so long. You just, you just go off on too many things. <laughs> when you go to Chick-fil-A and you had them kids that you still loved and you let them crawl around in them little nasty peapots, and if they got stuck, there wasn't nothing you could do. I mean, you'd be like having some other older kid in there. Hey, can you go get that one up out of there? Hey, I had to try to I didn't crawl up in there one time, past nets going around. I'm like, mm, no, I'm, I'm too big for all that. But you, you take that little kid that you love to Chick-fil-A with the, with the most polite people I've ever met in my whole life, uh, and the, you, you order that little, that little nugget meal for them kids, and they put a book in there. Now, see, that, that's, that's, the, that's, the, that's the scorpion. That's, that's the snake. That, that ain't what them kids want. You know what you can trade that book in for if you're a real good parent? Yes, ma'am! I didn't even wait to go sit down. I'd take that thing out of that bag, and I'd be like, hey, Joe, uh, can I get ice cream for this? And they look at you like, hmm, don't believe in education for your children, huh? These are educational books. I'm like, ice cream. Why? Because I know my children take some little some little book, little tear apart things that you got to piece together and try to be. Nah, they want to crawl in them peapots and they want to eat ice cream. Why was I willing to do that? Because I love my children. I want to give good things to my kids when I can. I don't have everything to give to my kids. And, and, and everybody is, wherever you are, it's relative. I don't, you, you might have more than me to give to your kids. But you don't have uh, Bill Gates money. You don't have Shad Khan money. I mean, you're like, well, it's easy for you to give. Uh, it ain't as easy as Shad. I mean, every, everything. I want to give what I can give to my kids because I'm a good father and I love my children. Amen? If we who, who want, want to give good things to our kids, God even more so. But there's no limit to what God can do for you. So why wouldn't you be asking? Well, I asked, and it didn't happen, so I gave up. It's your fault. You're to blame. Well, Pastor, when's my ship going to come in? Did you pray today for your ship to come in? When am I going to finally get what's coming to me? What, hell? Don't get it twisted. Don't believe you're on the short end of the stick. God's given us more than we deserve. But he said, if you keep asking, you will receive. Too many people are not receiving because they won't keep asking. It's God's good pleasure. It gives God great happiness, this version says, to give you the kingdom. God wants to give us good things. God wants to give us good things. He just wants us to be persistent in our asking. So here I'm, here I'm going to say this and I'm going to be done. I was going to have a big time of invitation. I'm not going to do that, but we are going to do something today. I was going to have a big time of altar ministry. We're not going to do that today, but we are going to do something. I want you, as, as, as Minister Jeff comes and he plays, I want you to think about what it is that you need. We started this story with a parable about a man going to a friend's house to get some food because some, some, some travelers showed up. And he needed food to give them. That wasn't a selfish desire. See, God's not promising for our selfish desire. God's promising for our need. It was required in that culture to be hospitable to people who were traveling that showed up at your doorstep. Remember when Jesus sent out the 72 by 2? He told them, whatever city you go into, just go into somebody's house. And as long as you stay there, stay in that one house and eat what they give you. It was required. 
of good people to feed travelers, to feed people who showed up. This wasn't a selfish desire that sent this person to their neighbor's house asking for some food. This was a necessity. What do you need that you don't have? You need to ask God for it. See, some of you need the people in your home to get saved. That's a real need. God said, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be baptized, you'll be saved. And so will the people in your house be saved the same way. They get saved the same way you get saved. Believing in Christ, born, being born again. If you have lost people in your house, in your family, friends, neighbors, co-workers that you care about, and you really understand that there's a real hell, then you can relate to, I need my children to be saved. I need that. I need my significant other, my spouse, to be saved. You, you have people that you care about. You need to keep asking. Some of you have financial need. I'm not, I'm not even talking about trying to go to Disney or Universal or Chick-fil-A. I'm talking about getting the rent paid and the light bill paid. You have financial need. You need to keep asking God. Here's where we short-circuit too much. We go to other people when we should be going to God. You never have to ask me for anything. If you keep asking God long enough, keep knocking, and he will give you what you need. If he hasn't given you what you need, it's because you're not done knocking. See, I didn't like cold call selling. I didn't even like getting the no's, even though I understood statistically that I had to get through nine people telling me no, and the faster that happened, the faster I could get to making money. But I had to keep on doing it until I got to that yes. You need to keep on praying. You need to keep on asking. I don't know how many times you're going to have to ask God. Now, here's what the, the parable is not teaching, that you can break God down. You're not going to break him down. He's not going to bend to your persistence. He just wants you to learn how to ask. He wants you to get comfortable being dependent on him. He wants you to get to a place where you finally see. Because when you ask long enough, you finally get to this point. The only one that can do it is you, God. There's none of my effort that will help here. I don't have any strength or any power to make this happen, but I know you can. How long is it going to take you to get to that point in your life where you take your hands off stuff, leave it to God in prayer? How long is it going to take you before you finally realize, I have got to get serious about asking God to heal my marriage. I've got to get serious about asking God to save my children. I've got to get serious about asking God to, to, to help me where I need help. How long is it going to take you failing before you get serious about asking? He can. He can. The word that stood out to me most in, in that entire passage was that one Greek word, only used one time in the entire Bible, where, where he said, I, I, I can't do it. It's not really what he meant. He, 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 I, I, I can, but I won't. But he did because the friend kept asking. God can. For some of you, he hasn't because you haven't asked long enough. you got to keep on asking. I want you right now to get in your mind. If I was coming to you with a microphone, if, if, I, if I started with Deacon West and I said, I want you right now to tell all of us on this microphone, what is the need for right now that you have? What is your need? What is your one? Everybody in this room ought to have something that they desperately need from God, that they know only God can come through with them. Everybody ought to have one thing that they know, God, if I could only ask you for one thing, this is my one thing. I was going to have everybody come up to the front, we'll hold hands and pray together. We don't need to do that. God can hear you right where you are. I want you to get in your mind right now that need that you have. I want you to get in your mind right now, and I want you to bow your head, and I want you to close your eyes, and I want you right now to start asking God. Because he's able, he can. He just wants you to ask. He wants you to ask persistently. He wants you to ask shamelessly. He wants you to ask repeatedly. Don't worry about how many times you have to ask. Just keep asking. Don't worry about how long you have to seek. Just keep seeking. Don't worry about how long you have to knock. Just keep knocking. I want you to right now ask God for what your need is. He hears you when you pray. The scripture tells us that. It, his, 
It gives him great happiness to give you what it is that you need. But he wants you to depend on him, and he wants you to be persistent in asking. Don't worry about asking other people. Don't worry about what other people are asking. You take this moment right now, in the silence of this moment, and you ask God over and over and over and over again. Ask God to meet your needs. God, we thank you for hearing our prayer. God, I pray that you would empower us to keep asking. Strengthen our faith, God, to where we will keep asking no matter what. Where we will keep seeking no matter what. Where we will keep knocking in spite of any level of discouragement or opposition, God. I pray that you would give us persistence, Lord to seek you for what you have for us, God. I pray that we will be shameless in our approach to continue to ask you for the good things that you desire to give us, Father. I pray that you would teach us, Lord, that prayer involves persistence. We can't just pray one time, but we got to keep praying. God, teach us to keep praying. Help us, Lord, to believe in you by faith, God. We thank you for everything, for every prayer you've ever answered, for every good thing you've ever given us, God. We thank you for everything that you've ever done for us already. And we thank you now by faith for what you're going to do in the future, God. We thank you in advance knowing that it's your good pleasure to give us the things that we ask for. We declare that you are a good father. It is our confession that you are able and that you will do for us what you promised you would do for us we believe in you god and we thank you lord for being a good god and for hearing our prayer in jesus name amen thank you for listening to the aocf sound doctrine podcast and visit us on the web at aocfnow.org your financial support for this ministry allows us to share the gospel around the world your support is greatly appreciated. If you would like to give a donation, please go to alcfnow.org. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people.